This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And this one, Jay, this is our annual Albums of the Year Roundtable. It's how we start every year. It's how we start every year. Our first roundtable of every year, except for the first couple of years when we didn't do roundtables because it hadn't occurred to us to talk to other people. Uh, we now invite folks on to talk about a year that occurred in the past. It used to be 20 years. We, we surpassed that at some point, and now it's become 30 years. So we're now talking about 1993 it's been 30 years jay oh my goodness i know what did you do i don't know i was just born that year so i don't really remember (laughs) no so i was in college it's and you were in were you in high school still or were you in in college by that point uh graduated okay 93 93 to help us talk about 1993 we're going to cover the albums that were big, the albums that were little, the albums that were big and should have been little, and the little albums that should have been big. We're going to cover it all. We, of course, have to have a a group of people help us to do this. And doing so, we have a a 1933 Yankees lineup of, is that a good year for the Yankees? I really actually don't know. I don't know what. I was going to say like, 1928 but i'm like that's the great depression that's like the stock market crash that can't be good for baseball there's there's that's got to be a bad year 28 was the last good year was it 29 was the crash oh 29 was the crash okay so i could have gone with 20 years i'm not so good at american history um that voice you just heard eric peterson welcome back eric thank you also joining us phil fleming hi phil hello Chip Midnight's here. How you doing, Chip? I'm doing great, thank you. Jeff Gentis, welcome. Hey, guys. And last but not least, Ian McIver. Hello, Ian. Hello. I like your backdrop. It's episode appropriate. He's got the... Yeah. It's not the album cover. It looks like promo artwork yeah. for Depeche Mode's Songs of Faith and Devotion. Yeah, well, 93 was a, a, a big year for myself, both personally and obviously through music. And um, I'm also stars off the bat. Um, uh, Songs of Fits of Devotion by Depeche Mode is my all-time favorite album. I have it right wow. here. The vinyl version, version, even signed by Alan Wilder. Whoa! So... <laughs> Yeah. Bringing out the heavy guns early. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it's kind of appropriate because this is the first alternative album to enter the charts at number one in both the U.S. and U.K. simultaneously. And that it, it wasn't the first alternative album to reach that. Uh, uh, Men at Work uh, did that uh, over ten years ago, but uh, 
they crawled their way up, but this was the first one to enter in. And um, for for me, I, I mean, like w- without this album, there's a chance that I probably wouldn't even be here. Everything for me goes through this band. And I'm, I'm sure everyone's seen Inside Out and they all have those different islands that represent a different aspect. We all probably have music islands. My island has a shrine to the pesh mode in the center <laughs> and and that so um yeah and uh it's um uh, it's one of those albums i mean it's been with me for the past 30 years everyone will comment albums that have taken us back to 1993 or or other years on other episodes but this is one album i can't pin to a, a certain time because it's been with me throughout it's the desert island uh album well, so, I'm glad you brought that up because can, <laughs> it's it's a part of the whole big picture of 93 as it's not just an album that came out that year, but it was actually relevant to the culture in a way. First of all, it went to number one. Okay, that's that's <laughs> great. But did you know that in September of 1993, Depeche Mode did an online <laughs> chat with their yep. fans? Yep. One of the I, very I, I, first. Uh, how? It What's didn't go well. <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> you, you, you could find the YouTube clips of the that interview. In yeah. That. Um, so they held a question and answer on AOL. There were yeah. technical difficulties. Uh, many people couldn't log in, including certain members of the band were unable to <laughs> actually join the chat. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, it sounds like 1993 internet. That's what was, it was like 4K. They didn't have enough of those discs sent out in the mail yet. Right. I don't even know. I literally, I'm trying to imagine how a 1993 internet chat would work, and I can't think of how it would work. Like, I was still on, like, DOS and BBS. Yes, I was on on BBSs and all DOS-based. So a couple of the things that happened this year that are music-related that are are important to our discussion. Um, This is the first year that an album sold 1 million copies in a week per SoundScan. Now, SoundScan had only recently gone into effect. The Bodyguard soundtrack in May of 1992, when it came out, released or was sold 1 million copies in one week. Much of that was due to Whitney Houston's you know, cover of um, so do you the know the, song. Do you know the, uh, the alternative important uh, trivia about that album? No, what? So uh, Nick Lowe woke up as a millionaire. So Nick Lowe, who had been in Brinsley Swartz, one of the punk rock or pub rock bands, and then part of the UK punk scene and one of the early new wave guys, uh, there's a cover of his song, Peace, Love and Understanding on that record. And by some band, it's not a great cover. It's but not the Elvis Costello version? No. Actually, it was uh, Curtis Steiger's. And so he he at that time is married to I believe Johnny Cash is one of his daughters and wakes up a millionaire because of that. <laughs> the bodyguard. That's crazy. Uh, a couple other things that happened: Cream United reunited for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Yeah. Michael Jackson played the halftime of the Super Bowl, and this was one of the first times like a big act played. And it basically changed the, tra- the trajectory mm. of the halftime Super Bowl. Because they remember they used to have like marching bands in the 60s and yeah. 70s and like up with yeah. people and like these stupid 
very boring things. Uh, Disney on ice and that. Mm -hmm. The Who's Tommy opened on Broadway this year. Prince, in June of, of 1993, on his 35th birthday, announced that he would be changing his name to a symbol. <laughs> That's one thing. Lo- weird. The love symbol. Yep. Uh, this is the year that Natalie Merchant announced that she was leaving 10,000 Maniacs and going solo. This is the year that um, Bruce Dickinson played his final show with Iron Maiden until 1999. There are a lot of big tours. Oh, the other one was, this is the year that Nirvana recorded MTV Unplugged. They recorded it in November of uh, November 18th in New York. And there was one other one that was, I thought was funny. Uh, oh, Bobby Brown was arrested. You remember Bobby Brown? Don't be cruel. <laughs> Again, <laughs> he was arrested in January. Which time? Well, this was Augusta, Georgia, for simulating a sex sex act on st- on stage. Oh boy! Oh god! <laughs> so this was not the first person. Obviously, yeah. Jim Morrison was arrested for that. I think. Uh, I think was um two life crew or something. Two life crew. And, like, oh, that that might just been lyrics. To be honest, yeah. they yeah. got them arrested, but he yeah. wasn't the first. And um. The Grammy Awards were hosted by Gary Shandling and Eric Clapton won six out of his nine nominations in 1993. Was that Eric Tears Clapton? Heaven? Yeah, it was probably yeah. the Tears from Heaven year. Yeah, he, he released that unplugged album and just blew yeah. up all over again. Yep. So we are going to talk about albums now from 1993. That's what we do here. We're going to talk about which albums we think stood the test of time. Maybe some that didn't. Albums that you missed when they were released in 1993, but they later discovered and are now, you know, favorites or something that you go back to often. Which albums have had surprising longevity? You know, this was a band maybe people didn't care that much about, or maybe were, you know, they weren't one of the biggest bands but their album has maintained a popularity or an influence, if you will. And then there are some albums that came out and they were bad and we need to leave them in the dust. (laughs) I would like to start with albums that stood the test of time. So I'd like to go around the virtual room and ask you all, I'm going to start with Chip. Chip, do you have an album from 1993 that you think, man, this has stood the test of time? It is an album by a band that I saw this year, Quicksand Slip. Ah, which I, which I, it's kind of funny because I didn't actually realize it was released in 93 until somebody posted it in the Discord group. Um, I had mentioned in the Discord group that 93 was a really long year in my memory in that I graduated college that year. And at the start of 93, I was looking through some of the CDs I have. And, you know, even though, Runge had broke and I was a Pearl Jam fan and everything uh, and alternative music had started taking off. I was still into kind of 80s, early 90s hair metal, but I know like looking at the list of releases from 93, my personal collection is sort of insane just the way that it goes between some different bands that um, it was such a, such a change for me from the beginning to the end of the year. So, but yeah, quicksand slip, uh, still holds up. I saw them just a couple months ago. I think I talked about it on the 
one of the previous episodes just um it's just it's a thrill to hear those songs from that album and it was a thrill back then so that is that is one for me that has stood the test of time excellent jeff what's an album for you from 1993 that stood the test of time uh in terms of the uh i, I was kind of looking at this as sort of the more the big ticket items sure. i think it's pj harvey's rid of me for this this is just you'll still put it on you're just like there's nothing that feels old-fashioned about it it just feels like its own singular thing that just rips good pick uh phil what about you well as i was as i was making my list i i don't know i think i think this was kind of the beginning of my uh my rooting for the underdog in a major way. Um, but what, one of the, one of the albums that I think has really stood the test of time. And I mean, it, it didn't make it that much of a cultural impact, I suppose, but it, it kind of did for me, uh, Amy Mann's whatever. Um, just it, it showed that, that, you know, you can have a, you can have a pop song and have it be, have a whole lot of lyrical depth. <clears throat> All right. Ian, yeah. besides Depeche Mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Um for for me, um I guess the look looking at my list, uh, uh I've got a couple, but the o- obvious one for me that really stands out is um now maybe not in terms of general population but uh cam fdm's uh angst album it's probably my favorite one of the group or at least one of them uh it may flip positions uh, with the uh, one or two others but um it it was uh, uh they really established their sound by by this point um the uh, starting a couple of years earlier with Naive in, in 1990, but then Money, there was a bunch of issues, and uh, I'll, I'll touch on that one uh, later. It's uh, related to another album that's on my list, but uh, th- this is the one where you really get that ultra-heavy beat that they're known for with uh, the uh, with the metal riffs. And uh, uh, it, the guitars are a little forward in the mix and a little heavy in the mix, but uh, something that they would uh, tweak and refine with, with the, the next few albums. But the, this is definitely probably them at their best. Uh, and, and that, I mean, the, the follow-up album, they'd have to bring Raymond Watts and that's a whole other story. But uh, no, th- this is definitely one that stands out for the industrial genre and that still people go back to. <laughs> cool. Uh, Eric? What do you say? Well, I'm going to go with uh, Mazzy Star. And so tonight I might see, which ah. is probably a very odd choice for people that have followed my my picks for Dig Me Out. Um, first of all, I just I do hear a lot of people that that still reference Fade Into You and uh, across not just age groups, but genre fans. And it, it's kind of a, a magical uh, song of that moment. But the rest of the album is great, too. It's very reflective and slow. And I guess the word is relaxing, which we didn't necessarily have a lot of in, in that time period. 
mean, I'm looking <laughs> at my stack of CDs and I'm looking metal, industrial, punk, grunge, surf. Yeah, not a lot of relaxing, mellow, calm, uh, soothing songs. And uh, Hope Savadell's voice is just amazing. So, yeah. Yes. Jay, you got a pick for an album that's stood the test of time since 1993? I do, and I hope I'm stealing one from you. Uh-oh. That's my goal is to get ahead of you and take your dun, picks. Dun, well, dun, you dun, always dun. get to pick ahead. Of, I'm always going to be throwing it to you, so I know. you're always going to be able to steal from me. So what are you stealing from me this time? Afghan wigs, gentlemen. Ah, that um, was not my pick for this one, but... Okay, okay. Be like that. So I think what's, I don't know, so cool about this record is that this is a band that really evolved with every album up until this point. I mean, you can really hear both from a production standpoint, songwriting standpoint, and just even identity of who they were, what the sound was. Like, you just hear that every record and single up to this point building to something, and then they get to this album, and finally they land on their sound. It's got the sort of the noir elements and the dark ballads and the awesome riffs and the weird, like, dissonant guitars and like all the pieces are there but also the production's there and it still sounds great uh it's still you know this and black love for me are always go-tos um actually anytime i hear the wigs are putting on a new record i just go listen to one of these two records um (laughs) and don't listen to the new one uh (laughs) it's top to bottom all 11 tracks are amazing and uh yeah i think it's stood the test of time okay well you did not steal that from me but i'm happy to report that um and a band and an album that uh wasn't huge but it was big enough that you know they were on a major and they they were probably more popular in canada than they were here was catherine wheel and chrome came out in 1993 and i didn't really think of catherine wheels being like hugely influential but as i you know 20 30 years after they've ended i hear more and more bands reference them like interpol was really the first band that i ever heard reference them and that was back in like 2002 um and i went back recently and while their debut ferment is drenched in typical shoegaze tin can production they kind of dump that for chrome i mean it's a much it's the bridge between ferment and happy days and it's such a well written record um rob dickinson just has a perfect voice as far as i'm concerned in terms of just being a rock singer like he's just got a really good range and personality and um everything about that album and that band uh still holds up for me so that's what i would pick as as a stood the test of time album. tim i would say the song crank is a song that i can never listen to just one time usually when i listen to it it's like three or four times in a row mm-hmm. and what's funny is i listen to it now and there's like a song called pain and it's him yelling pain here it comes again i'm like that's so 1993 <laughs> but yet that somehow makes it even better because it it fit the zeitgeist of the time, but they were able to do it in this, you know, unique way that was interesting to them. Um, 
and there's so much cool stuff like the song Frip and uh, Kill Rhythm. And there's just, just a bunch of really cool stuff on that record. Strange Fruit. Anyway, I'm going to get to, we had people on our Patreon, like Kyle Bittner, Richard Waterman, Mike Bond, Willie Dillon, uh, Carl. That we're not able to make it to this episode. So as we move along, I will share some of their picks because I don't want to blow anybody's pick by mentioning it too early. So let me reverse course. Well, I can promise they did, they didn't have any picks on my list. Okay. <laughs> or mine. Although I think that's what that goes without saying. So let me ask you. So there were some there were some records that came out. They were big at the time. And they might not have been big necessarily even like chart wise, but maybe on maybe they were college radio big or indie big. You know, this was the buzz it was a buzz bin band, as they would say on MTV many, many years ago. Um, but then they kind of petered out and they didn't have the longevity that maybe we were thinking some other, you know, artists might or or possibly could uh could shake things up and they just didn't so i was i'm wondering what albums maybe you guys thought of as not necessarily standing the test of time but petering out over time and not living up to maybe what their potential was uh i'm gonna reverse it and i'm gonna start with ian okay <laughs> well, well sticking uh in my wheelhouse with the, the industrial genre um front 242 uh Fuck Up Evil and Evil Off. They had two albums come out this year. Um, they also were on Lollapalooza for that tour. And then the band went silent afterwards. And and nothing really happened. Uh, in 1990, they signed with Sony, uh, leaving Lax Tracks in, in the U.S. and uh, under the uh, Epic uh, banner. And... and um, uh, Tyranny for You did well, but then these two albums just didn't get that result and can't that, that get that pull. I mean, you had Ministry on Lollapalooza the year before, and then obviously we know what happened in 1994 with uh, Nine Inch Nails, but uh, they, these guys, they're the peak of, of EBM and uh, just nothing happened, just didn't get any traction, never really got them to that next level. Okay. Eric? Well, <clears throat> it pains me to say because I love so much of this band's output, but um, Mexican Moon by Concrete Blonde seems to have been their last big stab at the uh, the brass ring. And while there's some decent tracks on here and they got some MTV play, despite being maybe the first band to ever chart on the modern rock charts at number one with Joey, I think back in 89, if I'm not mistaken, th this seemed to be pretty much the the end for them as a commercial prospect. Mm. Um, and that, you know, when when people go back to their albums, you're you're either going to their first album or you're going to bloodletting. And then that's really just about it. They did, I think they had one or two albums after this, but it was, you know, diminishing returns. OK. Phil. Something that has not stood up for you. Um, <clears throat> I I thought this particular record was amazing. Um, 
but and and if I'm not mistaken, it did well, really well in the UK. But it just it arrived with a total thud in the states. Um, Jesus Jones's record, Perverse. Mm. Um, it was it's it was kind of proto electronica about five years before it was being promoted as a big thing. And um, it wouldn't it wasn't normally something that I would have immediately gone after had I not known the singles from the previous album with, you know, right here, right now and real, real, real. And, and uh, the, the sound was just completely like undone and, and redone as, as electronic. And um, I mean, I don't think, I think other than like one guitar track, everything else was programmed um, vocals and guitar. But uh, yeah, I just thought the 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 whole thing was so much better than the fate it received. Jeff, what about for you? An album that has not stood up. I went back and did some research for this because the sort of the stuff that hasn't stood up, I sort of like got rid of and forgot about. Um, but I looked at uh, some of the, the the critical rankings of the year. Pet Shop Boys had a had a a latish career album very that was number nine on spins list i went back to make sure i wasn't you know forgetting some gem it's not good uh so f- for this that's my pick got it lastly to you chip i was uh the kid in class who was just looking up 1993 records because i couldn't think of anything offhand uh but what I came across is a record that is so forgettable. And again, it talks about like, it, it goes back to what I was saying before, about how, how 93 was such a weird year for music listening for me. My, my tastes were changing and evolving. Um, I had completely forgotten about, and I don't know that I've listened to it since 1993, but poisons native tongue. I, it, it may be a good record 30 years later. I don't know, but that was when they went from sort of the hair glam pop, power pop metal and Richie Kotzen joined the band and they went a, a different direction. And I just remember at the time, I remember buying it uh, for my Columbus folks here at world record. Um, I don't know if you guys even knew that place. You might not have been around when it was around, but um, the record store on a campus uh, mm-hmm. and, and buying that album and listening to it once or twice and, and taking it somewhere and selling it back because it just was not what I, what I was <laughs> expecting. Yeah, I I, re- I quickly revisited that or just a couple songs because I'm with you, Chip. Because I haven't listened to it in 30 years. My impression was like, huh, some of these songs sound like modern country songs. I think they were just ahead of their time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, well, the, well. I mean, they had they got Richie Kotzen, and Richie Kotzen wrote like 80 percent of that record. And if anyone follows Richie Kotzen's career, he alternates between between like hard rock material and guitar oriented R&B material and with the poison record the majority of that album is very bluesy and it does not exactly lead well to poison's usual party rock anthem aesthetic and so I I have that album too chip and I did not sell it um 
But I, so I, I will say that I rebought it. So I do have a, a copy that I got out of a dollar bin, not not all that long ago, but I, yeah. I haven't listened to it. And, and there, there's a there's a handful of songs that are that are actually really good. But for for them doing a like a 15 song hour long record is just not something that they should ever do. Even the cover um, is like is like a dark. It's um yeah. I mean, and and just the lyrical content of that that whole album is just way out of Brett Michaels' reach. Um, he's he's trying to be somewhat somewhat uh, like like serious and somber, and it just a lot of it just does not work. Yeah. If it was any other band, it it would have been a big success. It was like, hey, here's this bluesy kind of rock thing, and it would have probably would have done a lot better, but it had the Poison name on it. Yeah, and Poison out of all of the bands, except for maybe Guns N' Roses or possibly Cinderella, was the one that was most not going to cross over into alternative. Right. There's I mean, they might, they could have done. if they had done a complete power pop album, maybe. Absolutely. But other than that, they were they were the poster boys for the for the neon glam. Exactly. Yeah. Thing. And I mean, they didn't even have that that kind of bluesy rootsy thing that like a Cinderella might have had. Yeah, because it because by not by 93, I mean, some Cinderella was like maybe two degrees away from being a country act. So. Yeah. All right, Jay, I'm going to let you steal one from me here and go first. Feel free to pick your album that has not stood the test of time. I, w- I went with, uh, I'm going to just mention two here. I went with two classics, classic bands who put out live albums in the 90s that were pretty awful. One is Kiss Alive 3, which at the time I loved, and now when I listen to it, is ridiculous. Um, cause Eric Carr overplays everything and it just sounds bad. And then Va- Van Halen's live right here, right now. Oh yeah. Which is interesting in the fact that amazing catalog for the band, amazing live band that put out two horrible live records. Uh, and this being the first, um, and I think the history of this record is they pretty much re-recorded the whole thing in the studio anyway. So it is just unlistenable. Um, and really disappointing. That's <laughs> the history somebody... of Kiss live records, though. Like, uh, there's always a whole lot of post-production put into those live records. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the Van Halen record, like, hmm. oh yeah, <laughs> like I want to hear Van Halen live, and at least the second <laughs> one they did with David Lee Roth, it's actually live, and like, there's performance issues. But this one they did with Sammy Hagar in the '90s is completely re-recorded and. Hmm just sounds like a muffled mess it, it's not good that's interesting i would say that's interesting because this is also the era where we really start to see more and more bands live albums come out on vhs yeah, yeah. yeah. where you're yeah. seeing the actual full performance or you're seeing you know the best bits from several live performances right oh yeah it, it was never one full uninterrupted live show it was all several live shows with the exception of Queensryche, Operation Life Crime, but that's uh, kind of a special circumstance. 
And the U2 uh, Zoo TV tour that would be uh, recorded later in uh, November of 93 and also on pay-per-view. Yeah. So that that's the full performance, except one so- song was cut. Calling the White House. So, yeah. so Jay, oh, yeah. Jay, you triggered a memory. Um, so again, 93, I graduated college. I was writing for a paper. I was maybe on spring break. I was, I was not at my house. Um, and I came home and, you know, for the listeners who, uh, in, in the pre-show we were talking about, don't understand cultural references from the nineties. We had a answering machine <laughs> and, um, I came home from where thanks for I'd, calling the midnights. We're not home right now. Well, it was imagine like five or six guys living together. So it was you, oh, okay. Rich, Chip, Chris, Matt, Andy, Joe, Bob, you know, it's like, um, but there was a, 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 a message on my answering machine from Mercury records that Bruce Kulik was going to be in Columbus at a guitar show. And that if I wanted to talk to him about Kiss Alive 3, I could go meet him at the hotel. And so I did. Um, you guys may wow. know Mark, Ch- Mark Chatfield from The Gods. Sounds intimate. He owned Cowtown Guitars. Yeah. Um, so I met them at what turned in later later years into the Fort Rapids Water Park. Wherever that hotel, there was a hotel before it was Fort Rapids Water Park. And I met them in the, like in, my memory is in like the hotel like restaurant area. and. You know, I got like 25 minutes to ask him questions um, pre-internet. And so like, I can't find a copy of that article. So I, I don't remember anything about the interview other than like coming back and telling my roommates, like, I just interviewed the guitar player from Kiss. But um, <laughs> I have to ask one question. Makeup, yes or no? Uh, Bruce didn't, uh, he, I don't think he was ever a makeup. He was player. never yeah. in a makeup. Yeah, this was the non-makeup era. Yeah. Yeah. This is when yeah. they were trying to still figure it out without makeup now this was like the last gasp so, did you so, ask ask him if he wore makeup what would he be wearing i i have no idea what i ask him that so another i'm, I'm gonna i don't know if i'm jumping ahead because i don't know what this answer would be for but another album another band i got to interview in 93 that i have no record of other than in my head is i interviewed um radiohead i interviewed johnny greenwood mm. and i remember asking him and somebody out there has a copy of this paper somebody that i used to write with i'm sure has a copy that could get me the article but i remember asking him because this was like faith no more's um epic was kind of like had been the they weren't really one hit wonder but that was the mtv thing like they were known for that hit and that was about it and i remember asking him if he was concerned that creep would be their one hit and that they would be off the map a year from now and i don't remember what his answer was Um, (laughs) i really love that (laughs) here we are 30 years later and and and, uh, I, i was probably wrong about that prediction about them being a one hit wonder well, funny enough, that album at least is not on Apple Music. Oh, wow. It's the only Radiohead record not on Apple Music. If you um, want it, you have to buy it from iTunes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, I'll tell you why. Because in the albums that don't stand the test of time, Pablo Honey does not stand the test of time. I revisited it recently by adding songs to my daughter's rock playlist in the car. And I was like, these are really this sounded like a lot of their demos that mm. first record. Like, and I like a lot of demos by that band. There's especially some of the, the, the Ben's era demos. A lot of those songs are really good and could have been on albums, but going back, it sounds like Radiohead, but like them as teen, I, I know they weren't teenagers, but it's like, sounds like the teenage version of Radiohead. Like the lyrics are very kind of predictable. His melodies aren't, particularly interesting except on like creep um 
stop whispering is like a precursor to street spirit. Like there's, you hear the bits and pieces of what's going to make them good, but it's not all there. Yeah. So, that, that's, that's pretty much my assessment of, assessment of Pablo honey as well. I, I have never heard Pablo honey in full, but you triggered a memory for me, which is uh, my second sem- full semester at Michigan state, which was fall of 1993. I had this frat boy roommate who did not last the whole semester with me. He moved out, but one of the CDs that he had was Pablo honey. And the only song he played off of that was Creed. <laughs> oh my God. Ooh. That's, which is that, a, so- a song I love, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah. you I want to hear it all the time. That person that, that plays the single over and over and over again. Oh, well, con- conversely, I have a, a good friend of mine from childhood who I roomed with later on and oh. he played Valerie loves me by material issue over and over. And I'm still not sick of that song, but <laughs> just so, that, that creep from the frat boy. I was like, Whoa. Uh, the other, um, album that i want to mention it's probably gonna it is a big curveball but i gotta preface this by saying around 91 is when i started to really get into hip-hop uh that's when i discovered public enemy i had listened to like run dmc and stuff in the 80s but i didn't own any albums they were just like songs on the radio (laughs) so uh 91 is when i start actually listening to hip-hop with public enemy um, I think that's when I started actually getting into the Beastie Boys. And then um, 93 was a big year because you had like uh, a great album by A Tribe Called Quest. You have, um, I think there's a, uh, uh, a Digital Underground album this year. Um, there's, there's quite a few albums that are really good. One that was a big deal when it came out. I don't know if, how many people remember this, but Shaquille O'Neal put out an album <laughs> no. called Shaq Ooh. Diesel. Oh, Shaq. <sighs> now, there was a huge single, What's Up, Doc? Can We Rock? I mean, a huge, <laughs> but it, it, was huge, it was a big single. It was on MTV. You're making this up. No. no was, this, is a Man, this is a Mandela effect thing, isn't it? No, this is what's yeah. up Do- featured Fushnikins. I liked Fushnikins. Yep. I had their first album. I was into like Das Effects and Cypress Hill and all this stuff in 93. Snoop's first album comes out in 93. So like I was primed from that single. I was like, this could be a kick-ass album. This would be like, Oops. you know, he's got he's got and no, it was it was not. <laughs> Wait, your your hot take is the Shaquille O'Neal record didn't hold up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he, he, he used to own that album. But there was a precedent for for like the actor or athlete crossover because Will Smith had just started like a huge career as both a TV star and making records. Um Will Smith was, was somebody who transitioned from a rapper from, to actor. So Yeah, he had the record before. Did yeah, he? He, yeah. yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. He well, was either way, it's long before the TV show. Either way, I'm just pointing out that there were opportunities for people to move from field to field in the in successfully, and um, that seemed like it was going to happen because of that first single, and then the album came out, and it did well. I mean, it sold because he was a big star at the time as a basketball player, mm-hmm. but it has not stood up at all. It's my it's, first. I mean, rap. he was seen, a, he was seen as a novelty act. Right. As far as music is concerned, I mean, yeah, people no. took his acting more seriously. He was good in blue chips. 
He, he held great. his own against Nick Nolte. He's amazing in those Domino's commercials. <laughs> and, I wish, and I wish listeners could see the way you're dressed, Tim, because it would all make sense while you've picked yep. those <laughs> Yep. We got to post I'm, that. I'm repping my, this is my purple tracksuit. Uh, we have a new tracksuit for every episode. All, all 50, uh, <laughs> yeah, 50 tracksuits lined up for this year. Um, let's get into the albums that they were released in 1993, but you had no idea. And then many years later, you came to discover this record. And now it's something that you really enjoy and go back to often. Phil, I'm going to start with oh, you. Uh, you're, you're talking to the, to the guy who is completely blanking on that. Okay, we'll come back to you. Eric. Seriously, yeah. What do you got? Something that you discovered much later after 1993. So m- much later, as in two years later. Okay. Um, and this, this is one of the, the two bands that's the most important to me in the world. Um, I will never, ever, ever put them in the hopper. I will never, ever, ever pick them for a uh, review because they mean too much to me. Mm. But released in 1993 on Cargo Records, Sin Gallery by the Forbidden Dimension from Calgary, Canada. So Mm. almost a one-man band. There was actually two guys in this band, and they used a drum machine, which they dubbed as Larry Van Halen. This, to (laughs) me, is the epitome of this is not my favorite album from the 90s but they did record my favorite album from the 90s this is punk rock this is hard rock this is metal this is rockabilly this is surf this is uh a little bit of like crooning a little bit of country and western um bluesy influence stuff and uh the lead singer who's a good friend of mine i am very happy to say um Describes his work as little audio comic books. He's also a professional artist. That's what he does for a living. He does cover art for a lot of bands. Um, yeah, this 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 record, I, I love this record. It, it has uh, all the charm that you would expect a couple guys in a low-rent studio with a drum machine trying to be Blue Oyster Cult would have. So, yes, personal favorite of mine. Okay. So, so, so nice. is that a challenge there, Eric? But no, <laughs> no, no challenge. Throw it in the hopper. <laughs> you can throw a sing gallery in if you want, but uh, it, it will not win because it's nowhere, nowhere well enough. Hey, known. if you look at what has won the polls, it's never, ever the the most predictable, especially since we've gone to the tournament. Jellyfish. Format. I didn't win the poll. I didn't win the poll. Well, I believe it did. Did it not? Did it not absolutely annihilate the first one? No, no. I I just have recent no, the tournament style is what I'm saying, not the, not okay. the old polls. It's I think the tournament knocks people out earlier when we do 27 I mean, instead yeah, of just take, nine. Take some lumps. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the, the bands that have won have been Limb Lifter, Adorable. I, I don't know how that made it through a 27 pick tournament. But yeah, what are you people doing? Campaigning. <laughs> there is some serious campaigning going on. There's a lot of discussion on Discord for that. Chip, what's an album that came out in 1993 that you did not discover until much later? That was perfect timing because I just texted my daughter and asked her to drop off something for me. And what is the that? Guru Jazzmatazz. Jazz. Yeah. Uh, an experimental fusion of hip hop and jazz. So, oh, like a, 
like I sort of remember seeing this cover back in the day, but um, like literally six months ago, it hit me that I really wanted to hear. Like I'm one of those people who knows nothing about jazz at all. I like I like experimenting and just turning something on. And I'm like, I, I've been known to say that I I'd be willing to sell all of my rock records if I could trade them in all for jazz records because I just find it to be just really soothing and awesome to throw on on Sunday morning and drink coffee to. And something in my mind was like, there was a rapper who did some jazz stuff, but who was it? And I discovered this. So then I went down the rabbit hole of like, so now I need a copy of it to play on my turntable. And on Discogs, it was like going for like 80 bucks or a hundred bucks or f- more than I was willing to spend. I was at in Columbus at Lost Weekend Records not too long ago. And as I was walking out, I see it in the new releases and it was 22 bucks. And um, I don't know if it was reissued or if like some copies surfaced from a warehouse that ended up in the store, but whatever it was, I got the record that I had been looking for that I didn't know I was looking for. That's 30 years old that um, I had never heard until about six months ago. Nice. Interesting. Very recent discovery. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like that, that winding uh, path and we didn't, to that. And we didn't have anything to do with it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. J- Jeff, what do you have from 1993 that you discovered later? Well, we already discussed it quick, so I'll just mention quick that Gentleman fits this for me. I I was 15 in 1993. I wasn't ready for this album if I even had listened to it. That Quite is honestly, you should not have been listening to it. That's like an 18 and over <laughs> right. album. No, that is all. <laughs> so you deep. haven't put tracks on your, your daughter's rock mix from that album then? <laughs> no. No, that is an album. You need to have seen some shit to appreciate that. That is, <laughs> that is a record for adults in a way that we normally don't think of adult records. Um, but really, for it's the last couple of years, I found this band, um, Eric's Trip. They have an album, Love Terra, that came out, right? Which, for those of you not familiar with it, imagine it's like, it's lo-fi, a little s- s- slow at times, but it's it's more lo-fi. But yet, there's somebody who names their, al- their band after a Sonic Youth song. So there's a decent amount of complexity here. You're not dealing with like a singer-songwriter approach. It's It's cool. It's a, it's. And it's one of those things that's nice because it's good the first listen, but it's also a grower on top of it. Uh, fun fact, that name, the name of that band and that album are name checked in a Tragically Hip song. It's it's part of a whole lyric. Uh, trying to find if I see if I can find it. So where where were you in 1993? Because that was kind of big in my area, but that was due to our alternative station being out of Windsor, Canada, and obviously their their CanCon. So, oh, I I was listening to there's a um really long running uh all, uh college rock station out of Providence WBRU, okay. which was used to be kind of associated with Brown, but it's it's more um that's what I was listening to. So you you weren't in the broadcast range then of, of Canadian stations then. No, I literally okay. bought an antenna with you know, landscaping money to put on my roof to make sure I could still receive the Providence ch- channel. Cause I was like 60 miles away. Wow. Wrap your head around that and compare it to what, what it's like now. It's like <laughs> hit a button on any song. Oh, right. Well, well while Tim is, while Tim I, is, I looked doing... it up. Oh, okay. So in, in the song, put it down, which is on the album that we reviewed trouble at the hen house many years ago. There's a lyric that goes, um, I played Love Tara or Tara by Eric's trip the day that you were born. His 
first child was born in 1993. So it's literally about his kid being born. So there you go. Canadian love there. There is some Canadian love there. Back and forth. Uh, Phil, did you figure one out yet? Or are you still? I uh... did, but I'll let Ian go because okay, he's been waiting so patiently. <laughs> oh, that's all right. <laughs> what do you got, Ian? Okay, uh, one that I discovered uh, a bit later was uh, Wapscott's uh, "Music for a Slaughtered Tribe." It's a German electro industrial band, and I, I didn't really discover them in this album in particular. Ten till like about ten years after the fact, so uh, uh, it's been reissued multiple times and that's probably why it just comes in and out of print but um uh, I, I recognized uh some songs from like university and even afterwards going to the clubs uh, particularly the uh track uh silent green which famously samples the the german version of that movie but uh yeah it was uh one that like discovered it and then uh when i did um it was one of the reissues, and it's like, oh, okay, and then find out, oh no, this is ten years old, but it was sounded still sounded great ten years later, and then it's like, okay, and started to check out the band, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is something that I'll definitely add to my my collection. Definitely a a worthy album uh, for uh, my rating for that album. All right, Phil. All right, yes. So I I had to double check a day, but um, yeah, I. Someone sent me a mixtape with about seven songs from a 1996 album. And uh, I was just completely blown away. And so I decided to work my way back. And I landed on the Loud Family's Plants and Birds and Rocks and Things. Uh, The Loud Family came from an 80s kind of Paisley underground band called Game Theory. had a couple of records on Enigma and uh, just uh, the Loud Family is one of those bands that just intimidates me to no end. And I love it for that reason alone, because I could never think to write songs like Scott Miller, who was the principal songwriter for that for that group. And uh, yeah, Plants and Birds and Rocks and Things. From the Loud family. <laughs> uh, Phil, since you are, um, I'm assuming a Loud family fan now, right? Oh, yes. So you know this, but I will uh, drop a little um, trivia. Is Didn't like Nina and Louise from Veruca Salt sing backing vocals on a yes, Loud family song? Yes, on, on Nina sang on one song on Interbabe Concern, which came out in 96. And the game theory, the guys from the Posies, um, at least Ken did some stuff because I saw the Posies in 2018, 2018. And Ken um, also did something on Andrew Babe Concern in 96. But but he didn't do something else too with, with game theory or with game theory. Oh, or with Scott um, he was primarily responsible for the game theory, uh, for lack of a better term, tribute record that came out in 2018. Okay. Called super califragile. I, I was at I was at a Posey show and um, I didn't want to buy a T-shirt, but I wanted to buy something to get him to sign, and I bought that that Game Theory tribute album so that Ken could sign it for me. Yeah, it's it, it's very good though. It's not it's not Game Theory in the band sense. It's more Game Theory in the collective sense. 
Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a good record, but it, it was, it was, it was all done posthumously. So did I, uh, did I get everybody except Jay? I think so. Jay. Well, I'm lucky cause I get to co-host a podcast where we do nothing, but we discover I realize music and, and often, uh, it's stuff I've never heard before. So I'm just going to run through a quick list of a couple records that we've done reviews of from 93 that have, I either were kind of new, but hadn't spent time with, or had no idea of. So one would be Doughboy's crush. Never heard it. We reviewed it last year. Um, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Buffalo Tom, big red letter day kind of was familiar with it, but through the podcast, spent a lot more time with it and became a fan of that band. Uh, Paul dragline, just a banner remember the name in the album cover and that was maybe a season one review that mm-hmm. was sort of a mind-blowing record just in terms of how unique it is uh phantom blue built to perform sort of a band that's was a 80s ish <laughs> band that put out a pretty good record uh in 93 nice. that i never heard and was that Hearts. a chip pick uh, that, that was, was a me pick. That was a I've you never, pick. Okay. I've I've never I had never heard I I'd heard of the band, but I'd never heard the record until you guys reviewed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. And the Wild Hearts, I'm gonna say P H U K U Q. Um P H U Q. Yep. That was um a band that, that I was aware of had heard that, stuff. That was like actually ninety five. Wrong year. What? Ninety three is Earth versus the Wild Hearts. Oh, which well, you did not album. like. <laughs> what the hell? Got it. you got some incorrect information there, boy. That's yeah. enough. That's my, enough. You're naming all the albums we've done. I got to name <laughs> something. My meta tags are broken. Go, all right. go for it, Tim. Okay, so one of the earliest uh, podcasts that we did was on Mezcal Head by Swerve Driver, which is an album I had not heard um, in the nineties. And it wasn't until I might have heard it at some point in the early 2000s, but I really I had no idea what it was until we reviewed it. And um, that's I still listen to Swerve Driver constantly, especially, you know, that album and Ray's and, and the um, last two new ones that came out. Girls Against Boys was a band that I didn't spend a lot of time with. In the, I actually discovered Girls Against Boys on the Freakonica album which is the basically the last of their nineties run. Um, so, and that was kind of it for me. I didn't get into them. And then we ended up reviewing them probably like third season Venus Luxure, number one baby. And that's when it like clicked with me, like, Oh, this is a really cool band. And I have been collecting all of their albums. Now I actually just picked up one of their early EPs um, on a, on a, like a holiday vinyl sale uh to try to finish up my collection did you go uh, on the new wet kojak pardon yeah. the new wet kojak no what's that oh that's a that's a like a spinoff uh it might be eli Janney's band maybe oh okay there's definitely it's definitely a girls against boys kind of spinoff band gotcha well i i just just got into the soul side which is scott mcleod um with their new album that came out because you had mentioned how good it is yeah um so I'm just starting to go down that road. And I know he has another band called Paramount Styles, I think. Yep. Um, I think they've only put out one record. And I, it's so funny because I was thinking about that not too long ago. And I feel like maybe I helped book them a show at 
Bourbon Street or the Summit. <laughs> like, I, I feel like it was one of those things where I came across Paramount Styles somewhere because I was a Girls Against Boys fan and like, oh my God, Scott's got another band. And it was probably back in the MySpace days. And I think I sent him a message like, hey, if you're ever touring and want to play Columbus, I could try to help you, even though I had no connections anywhere. And I think he replied and said, okay, I'll play in Columbus. I'm like, oh, crap. So I think I, I have very vague memories of that, but I'm almost positive I helped book him a show. It, I, I didn't discover them till later either. And that um, I don't know. It was the, I don't think it was with this album. I think it was... Uh the one from 92 where I'm blanking on, but it's my favorite music to run to. It's just like the best double bass attack of intense and hard, but not loud, hard. Yeah. I, I got into them during the house of GBSB. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That was like, I want to say that was like 93, 94. And that was the later. Yeah. Um, Like MTV actually played, the single for a couple of months and then they signed to Geffen for free Gonica and which is a much different record. Yeah. Than what they had previously made. Um, but, you know, Tim, Tim, that's a really cleaner, good call. Because but yeah. When, when, you know, like I mentioned guru, which I just discovered this year, um, girls against boys, that that's a great call. Cause that is a band that I discovered a few years later. And then, yeah, went back to the 93 stuff. And that's probably the biggest distance. I mean, there are bands like Suede where I didn't hear them until the like fourth album. It was because of like, then I started reading Enemy and uh, Q Magazine and whatever, Mojo or whatever was coming out of the UK in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think, Jay, you probably discovered Suede around that time as well. I don't know. Were you into them before like coming up? Um, I want to say it was just around the time of coming up okay yeah the sweet's first record came out in 93 and it, yeah. it did come out in the states um but i have no recollection but, of seeing any videos or i'm sure they got played on 120 minutes they were on 120 minutes for sure yeah. I, remember, yeah. I remember seeing uh was it animal nitrate was maybe that was the song right yeah um, and i didn't see the video for that until youtube so yeah i was lo- i was metal long mickey after. was the metal mickey was the modern rock single from that record let's get into can can i really quick read some of the other ones you guys oh yeah go ahead sure so paw was actually episode number three for dragline um smoke by driving and crying was num was episode number 289 in utero by some band from seattle was uh (laughs) number uh 461 spilt milk by jellyfish was 540 couple there's a couple more ones that that, i don't know the episode numbers but um tim's favorite seaweeds four (laughs) (laughs) yes um i think i interviewed miles from for love not lisa yes you did and it's like episode uh, 10 or something like that dig Dig. came out in 93 as well and those were all previous dig me out episodes are they gonna have a new album out <laughs> so I think when Scott was on, which was probably two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, um, they were talking about a new record, and uh, yeah, he posted something on Instagram recently, and I sent him a message, and I was like, "So when is that record coming out?" And he said, uh, "This summer." He said it's been a long, a long delay, but it's coming this summer. So cool. I'm not, I'm no longer holding my breath because I've been hearing that for literally. They were working on stuff in like um, 
about, I've been at my current job 16 years and I remember interviewing him through email before I had my current job. So about 18 years ago, they were talking about recording some new stuff. So (laughs) Scott, if you're listening, I'm still waiting. Also, one more I forgot. Hater was episode uh, 309. That's right. So yeah, did say, the, I right. think that was the first time I heard any one of you say decent single. And it was Jay who called it decent single. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when exactly we started that. So, but that would make sense around around then. Scott oh, wow. said actually, Scott said the new dig album is coming out this summer to celebrate the 30th anniversary. So great timing. Oh, perfect. Nice. Let's talk about albums that have had surprising longevity ones that somehow are now influential beyond anybody's you know uh expectation who would like to go first rather than me uh uh, jeff this is for me this is tuesday night music club the notion that this would become influential for like artists in the next century is unbelievable i mean she was it's it was good they had like sort of easy listening bar songs but the notion that she broke from the pack of you know whatever iteration of women in rock it was in 1993 Mm -hmm. um and became so influential uh is really was surprising to me can i can i just piggyback on that that i was listening to the most recent episode of song versus song and they're talking about cheryl crow versus jewel and they get into that album yeah um i lost my copy recently which i stupidly dropped it somewhere but i was listening to it this past summer and it actually holds up quite well they both played also somewhat randomly uh woodstock 99 and the performances from both of them especially if you're like familiar with how the other bands did that day i mean you're just like oh these are much better these are sort of absolute professionals mm-hmm. yeah uh jeff kind of stole mine um you bastard no um in 93, when that record came out, I didn't think too much of, a, of it. I, I mean, not, not much really kind of clicked with me. However, the follow-up made everything make sense. Um, her, the second and third records from Sheryl Crow just cemented everything that I loved about Is the her. second one just self-titled? Yes. That one came out ninety five. That's got like my favorite mistake and nope. That's ninety eight. Oh, obsessions. Oh wow. Um, man, she was owning that decade. The 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 second album had if it makes you happy. Every day is a winding road. Um, every day is a winding. Oh, I thought that was on the first record. No, it Hmm. sounds like it could be, but it wasn't. Um, and and a song that wasn't a huge hit, but was just very very impactful was a song called home um very plaintive ballad i remember there was one that she said something about walmart with relation to a gun that is love is a good thing off the second record okay (laughs) uh who else has a an album with surprising longevity that they like to share we mentioned this one twice i'll just throw it out um jellyfish spilt milk I mean, I think in some ways that band was at the time considered retro, which was not maybe a thing that was mm-hmm. done yet. So for them to be only, well, to, 
and also maybe like in the grand scheme of things, like a one hit wonder um, in some respects with, you know, maybe one video on MTV that sort of did anything. So all this time later to have the members be so successful in other projects and so prolific and influential and, and then the albums be so like, you know, everybody wants these on vinyl. And I think this band, re, you know, doing some kind of reunion would be a pretty big deal for music nerds. Um, and I think for musicians, they're just one of those bands that's just so unique and, um, you know, really influential if you're into power pop and sort of a progressive pop. So that's one that, that popped out to me as being maybe to us is kind of well known, but I think in, um, the grand scheme of things is sort of a blip that, you know, was had an influence through a lot of uh, music since then. I, I would add on top of jellyfish, I would add, um, Liz Fair's exile in Guyville. I mean, there's an entire generation of girls making bedroom indie pop mm-hmm. that can have a direct line back to Liz Fair's first record. Yeah, absolutely. So oh, if yeah. we can, we can go to the opposite end of the musical spectrum. Wolverine Blues by Entombed, which um, probably, to my mind, more than any other record, spawned the helicopters. Because Anika from the helicopters was the drummer, and just about every other member of the helicopters at one point or other was part of the touring band or a guitar tech or something like that. But this is also considered a classic record in when it comes to death metal, heavy metal, and what they call death and roll. Death and roll. Uh, Ian, do you have any that you want to share? Uh, not Nothing that would really uh, have longevity with uh, the audience, uh, but the, the one for, for me that really has uh, a lot of legs is uh, Chem Lab's uh, uh, Burnout at the Hydrogen Bar. Um, uh, it was their, I believe it was their first album, uh, Though they weren't on on wax tracks, they are associated with the uh, Chicago industrial scene. But um, they, it's an album that still gets a lot of mention, even to this day within the genre. So it's it's one that I would highly recommend checking out. <laughs> one album that I discovered probably the not this year, but in '94. Is Uncle Tupelo's Anodyne. And I think when you look at the trajectory of not just alternative country music, but even country music today, like pop country is one thing. But I think if you listen to people like Sturgill Simpson or John Moreland or um, Jason Isbell, or um, there's a bunch of other names that I'm forgetting. Absolutely. But you can trace them back to the alternative country movement that Uncle Tupelo basically started in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a magazine named after their first album dedicated to the genre. And um, I feel like Anodyne especially kind of coalesces the whole the whole concept of what that is. Like, it's not a noisy Dinosaur Jr. sounding record, but it's also not totally clean and you know, Nashville, uh, Nashville produced. So um, that would be my pick for um, longevity. And that, I mean, that was their one album on a major. The other three records were all released on a tiny indie label out of 
like Illinois or something like that. And then they got bumped up and then immediately broke up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got two good bands out of it. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to complain too much. <laughs> um, but it was the next year when, when AM, I think AM comes out the next year. Um, Cause yeah. Tweedy, like year and a half. We got yeah. his, his album out fast. And that was in the uh, box full of letters came to the studio. And I was like, this sounds like Tom Petty. This is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how my journey started to, to where I earned the uh, nickname Uncle Tim Cavolt. <laughs> Gave, given to me by Keith Jenkins. I haven't heard that in a while. That's, it's been a, long, been a long time since I've heard that name. Now let's, and I don't want to end it here, but does anybody have albums that maybe they got overplayed maybe the sound is just it's poorly produced it's stuck in that period but that are basically left you should leave them in the past don't you don't want to revisit this album ever again eric's winding up the pitch (laughs) so anybody that read discord today the former largest rock band in the world put out an album in 1993 Mm-hmm. That is really them going out with a whimper, and it's called the Spaghetti Incident. <laughs> so I don't think it's actually that awful. I think that um, they tried to do something interesting. While meanwhile, the Ramones put out a covers album that was maybe much better. But the Spaghetti Incident was stinks of contractual obligation. Um, let's just do a bunch of covers. Hey, I, I'm give them props for getting some of their favorite bands paid for once. You know, the damned got a check. The UK subs got a check. Oh, yeah. Good, good yeah. for them. Yeah. But other than as a novelty and a, uh, you know, unfortunately kind of a shambling mess, you know, the spaghetti is probably best left in 1993. Yeah. It's definitely left in a lot of used CD bins. Because oh yeah, that was, that was definitely one that you saw every time you you went into like the dollar bin. Mm-hmm. Who I still else see it at flea markets to this day? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm gonna, I got a hot take. Okay, this is personal. Uh, oh, I'm putting okay. that out there. Um, I was into it like everybody else, but I just don't ever want to hear it again. Pearl Jam versus, like when that came out, it was just non-stop on the radio they were it didn't even matter there were no singles they just played the whole record all the time and i'm good if i just and i had the cd and i was with everybody listening to it and thought it was the most amazing thing ever for about a year and then i just don't ever need to hear any of those songs ever again the rest of my life okay so so i'm going to i'm going to disagree with you for pretty much the same reason I, I actually, lo- I still like verses to this day, but I mean, while I'm not going to readily play it like when we're done recording here, but Pearl Jam was one of those bands that, especially those first three, rec- three four, five records, just bring out a vibe in me that just warrants repeated listening. Um, despite the fact that you heard like probably 
eight out of the 12 tracks on that route album yeah. on the radio constantly. And you still hear like three of those songs to this day in heavy rotation on most rock radio. Um, yeah, I, it's, it is one of those things that I just don't get tired of, but in any circumstance, I would totally be tired of it. Any other circumstance <laughs> that is, um, so, yeah. I, I don't know if that record, um, I thought about this after Tim kind of did the recap of what happened in 93. And I don't know if this was the first time this ever happened. I have a memory of it. This is the first memory I have of this happening, but uh, it came out on vinyl first. That was Vitology. No, Vitology they both did. No, no, no. It was Versus. No, because I pre ordered Versus and I picked it up a week before the mm-hmm. CD came out. Oh, they, they all did. Even 10, I think, was like that as well. Because um, I, 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 I just, I distinctly remember. Vitology being available for sale on vinyl like three weeks before the CD. So was Versus. I was writing for yeah. a music magazine mm-hmm. and we bought it in um, 1993. I didn't know anybody with the turntable. Um, <laughs> I really mm-hmm. looked staring at it. But, oh, but I, the, st- I didn't. <laughs> but the I, was, I was waiting for that. I was waiting for it and I had heard about the first run of about, I think it was like 200,000 cassettes with the original working title of the album five against one mm. and i did manage mm-hmm. to get a co- couple of copies that way so yeah the because i know the guy the guy that ran the magazine that i started writing for after i graduated we bought it and we played it in our office and then he had a you know a cassette player so i i had a copy like i had a copy of verses that i played for my roommates before they heard it um but one of the songs um i'd have to go back i think it I have to go back to remember which one the vinyl skipped. And I don't know if you've ever had a, like if you've ever had a skip and recorded it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Every time I hear that song 30 years later, I'm waiting like <laughs> the song without the skip doesn't sound right to me. Right. Uh, <laughs> totally. Uh, who else has mm. got albums that belong in the past so, left, so, left in the dust. So this was not a huge album by any means, but um, coming out of the music I was listening to, uh, Saigon Kick had put out two really good mm. records, the self-titled and then the Lizard. And the third record, while they were recording it, the lead singer, Matt Kramer, left the band. And I would say that I remember buying it and I'm like, this is not Saigon Kick. It's not Matt Kramer. Mm. I have since gone back and, and I bought a, I, yeah, I since, I've since bought a copy. And to me, going back and kind of kind of understanding everything and listening to it with fresh ears. It's an okay record. I just remember though being yeah. so disappointed in that record. Like it, it lost all the, it lost all the Matt Kramer. I don't know what you'd call it. Well, craziness in the vocals. That, and, that, that particular record, which was called water. Yeah. Water. Um, yeah. It, it, it reeked of something that was rewritten at the last minute to accommodate the guitar player doing all the lead vocals. And not a lot, not a lot of the songs actually work. It's just kind of, it just kind of washes by. It's not unpleasant, but it's not, nothing stands out. Yeah. Yeah. Any other hot takes? I had a very hot take mm-hmm. on Exile and Guyville, but I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it alone. <laughs> All right. It well, involves, involves talking to, uh, comparing them to this band Wet Leg that's got a lot of, 
<laughs> hype and uh, excitement from a similar crowd that Liz Fair got uh, in mm. similar, I'll just say similar demographics. Yeah. Um, Paul Westerberg's 14 songs. I think, you know, I think people were just excited to get some replacements. Isk yeah. thing and singles that come out. He had a couple decent tracks on that. And watch just... your mouth. That's a great album. <laughs> I don't know if it holds up. Well, 14 songs. I'll, I'll stand in the middle here. It starts off really strong, but totally class fads out at the end. Dice behind your shades. Mm. Come on. I even bought this, the EP that had like the alternate mixes. I love that album so much. What? Oof. All right. So you, okay. you want a Here, hot take? Let me give you a hot take. Okay. Go f- your hot take first. I, I, so I grew up in the 80s in Buffalo, New York. Every home, it was mandatory. You had to have a Billy Joel cassette or vinyl in your home <laughs> in the 1980s <laughs> in Western New York. So I grew up a Billy Joel, my first concert ever, 1987, for the bridge tour. Psalm. 1990, when the, uh, uh, yeah, now you the, you got Stormfront and then you have the Kolschlep, the uh, Russian live yes. album. Loved them all. Bought them on cassette. Put them in my Walkman. River of Dreams. Loved it. Love River loved of it. Dreams. Love River of Dreams. A lot yes. of people hate that record. Now, I can't listen to it. All I can listen to is like mm. the 70s stuff, the really raw, like singer oh, no, songwriter stuff. I, I still like River, the River of Dreams record. I, ironically, I do not, I am not fond of the title track. That song is embarrassing. Um, That's what we call now appropriation. <laughs> Doing yes. the, a bad Paul Simon song. But, but like the first, Four songs, no, five songs. The first side of the of the album of the River Dreams album, I thought was really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, no Man's Land, Great Wall of China, Blonde Over Blue. I know all, all these songs so ingrained in my head, but um, I mean the 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 back half is like kind of wavers a bit, but oh my god. Like no man's land is worth the price of admission alone. Um, all right, so my hot take, aside from about like three or four songs, Siamese Dream did not do anything for me. Oh, well, see now that that's been in my kids' mix, re- mix recently, um, and she has not responded well. <laughs> Particularly, she just look at voice. you and just give you the thumbs down. <laughs> she does. She gives me the. She gives me the. You're all excited. You're like, Wani, what do you think of this? This is Siamese Dream. It's super important. She's no. like, do not show the today yeah, video to her. Wait on the today video. You need to go live today performance yeah. for for that. That's my do, hot daughter. You, know, you got to you got to go with the live performance of Quiet. I just want to say that we waited to the end of the episode to actually talk about all mm. the big albums yeah. <laughs> so everybody who tuned in they're like albums of yeah, no, they're going to talk about pearl jam versus and siamese uh, dream yeah no uh, but, but for we're some like reason, stank. for some reason i just i guess it was just kind of the overall sound of the album that just grated on me like the Stop. wall of guitars oh I, come on 
I I've heard, heard plenty of of uh, Smashing Pumpkins in that era. My best friend loved them. I have never been a fan. This never worked for me. I, I made a whole TikTok about how important that band was when I was reviewing the the new album. Uh, I I was like so distraught about how bad the album was that I had to do like a seven minute long explanation of like, look, I'm not just hating on the Pumpkins because they're bad now. I'm I'm hating on them because I used to love them. Like I I would get the guitar tab off the internet and I would like learn to wait, 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 drop wait. D and you stole my Afghan wigs argument. I see how you're doing. It. <laughs> yeah, but. That's the same argument I make for the wigs. And you're like, you're ridiculous. And then you make it for the pumpkins. I'm well, like, you're, <laughs> I think there's a general agreement that the, the songwriting has declined uh, as the pumpkins have continued on almost uh, in parallel to Weezer, quite honestly, that people are just like, why is this band still going? Can like, we not go no. into Weezer, please? Yeah. Well, this no. is not a Weezer uh, 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 episode. So we no, don't this right, a, talk an about an off year for Weezer. Yes. Yeah. I don't There's, think they're. They're not even around at this time. No, 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 yeah, the Blue year. Album didn't come out till 94. Yeah. yeah. And thank God this is an off year for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but. Well, yeah, no, I, but I, I mean, I think it was more the overall sound of Siamese Dream that kind of turned me off. All of it had the like three walls of guitars that just kind of just blended into each other and nothing stood out outside from the singles. Yeah, but yeah, that's it's kind of a hot take because I know so many people who love Siamese Dream, but I loved Gish and I and I really like Melancholy and things that came after it. But yeah, ah, that that's how it is. Not with the Seer, pumpkins. not Seer, the yeah. the one that Tim was talking about earlier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but with the pumpkins, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like I know people, and I'm one of them really enjoy the singles but i mean the rest of the album is kind of like eh, and then you got fans of the band but then again you can probably make the same argument for any band out there it's like oh yeah i love the singles but who cares yeah. about the rest of the album uh, especially bands from the 90s when uh it seemed to be focused on the singles and just to sell a 20 dollar cd yeah oh yeah well that was 93 was kind of kind of the start of the ascent of the end of the commercially released single mm. so that people were forced to buy the album. Yeah. Speaking of that, an album that's got some chatter on the discord is this one. Mm, Crash, Crash test dummy. <laughs> yes. God shuffled his feet, which I, I quite enjoy, but it's a good, it's a good album. I, I, I think this is an album that, that uh, like many of the one-hit wonders, that people heard the single but never listened to the album. Oh yeah, more... they bought the two million people bought the album for the single. Yeah, there, there's a bit more uh, different perspective up in Canada, obviously because of CanCon. So mm -hmm. there's a right, lot more yeah. airplay, a lot, lot more variety than just uh, the single because it was included with Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> uh, let's um. Let's end this on a positive note. Instead of dumping on albums that we uh, we uh, thought didn't stand the test of time, let's talk about any albums that we may not have mentioned earlier. Rapid uh, fire. That what Jay? We, let's do rapid fire. I'm sure we all are all sitting on a list of. Let's rapid fire some <laughs> albums that deserve to be mentioned, worthy of of 1993. I want to start with Easy E's 
Uh, it's on Dr. Dre 187 Umkilla that features the iconic Give Me That Nut, one of the greatest hip hop singles of all time. Jay. Uh, I stood the test of time. I know I talked about Afghan wigs, but I had four other records uh, vying for that spot. And those were Brad Shame. Yes. Which is absolutely incredible. Talked about a couple weeks ago with Jeremy Toback. Dinosaur Jr., Where You Been, which is mm-hmm. my favorite record of theirs. Manic Street Preachers, Gold Against the Soul. And Red Cross, Phase Shifter, which I know is one we reviewed. and Oh, yeah. Um, a bit of a favorite in the DMO community, but another really, really great record. It's also the year Sean Smith was busy because not only was the Brad Ump this year, the first Pigeonhead record was this year as well. And then next year he makes a record with Satchel and then he immediately goes back and starts making another Brad record and his schedule was crazy. And there was two, there's another Pigeonhead record coming out as well. Um, So yeah. What else? What other ones? Rapid fire them. All right. Manor Astro Man, is it Manor Astro Man? If you like indie surf rock, you want something to play for your kids that's fun and energetic, check these guys out. Saturation by Urge Overkill. Yes. The Goo Goo Dolls Superstar Car Wash, which I still maintain is one of the great power pop albums of the decade. This is the pre becoming a uh, AOR, MOR mm-hmm. uh, staple. This, this is just pure power pop. Until contemporary. Uh, <laughs> Dead can dance into the labyrinth if you want something to play with your Mazzy star that's also kind of relaxing and chill and laid back. Dead can dance, hundred percent. And finally, probably the oddest thing I pulled out, or the second oddest thing I pulled out: noise, power pop, garage rock, the Cyclone Rangers with "Feel Nice." If you've never heard it, just just go check out the track "Feel Nice." You'll know whether or not this is for you. And okay. three, three rapid mm-hmm. fires here. The, the Juliana Hatfield three uh, mm-hmm. become what you are. As opposed to Afghan wigs, gentlemen, you had to be fifteen in order to really appreciate it. I still love it now, though. Um, no alternative is an incredible compilation. It's not even connected to a soundtrack, but it's it holds up. It is very very strong. Yeah. And I also just wanted to give. Uh, it, it, this is more of a genre that developed, I think, in '93, and you take it with. White Zombies, Thunder Kiss 65. Came out in 92, but broke in 93. It was kind of too dancey for metal, but it was like too hard for alt rock. Where did it find its its home? Beavis Beavis and Butthead. Butthead. Yeah, Beavis Beavis and Butthead Core became a a, a subgenre of rock. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll go through uh, my list uh, quickly that I have here. Uh, Curve, uh, Cuckoo. Uh, great album. Um, didn't do as well as the first one, which you guys reviewed here, uh, Doppelganger, but uh, it's a lot more darker. And uh, um, though I think they would get the, the balance a bit better uh, when uh, their follow up album uh, five years later with uh, Come Clean. Uh, Canadian industrial band, uh, Numb, Death on the Installment Plan. Uh, solid listen. Uh, I still enjoy it. Uh, Decrypts, uh, two, uh, the final option, uh, their second. Uh, album of the 90s after they reformed uh more experimenting with the uh industrial metal sound going back to kmfdm two side projects that came out this year uh excessive force uh second album for that one 
uh, for Sasha. And then NS released Cheesy, which was the aborted half of money that was supposed to be released in uh, 92 under the name Apart, where uh, Sasha and NS both wrote one side of the album and uh, the label didn't uh, really agree with that idea. And then the uh, last one for me, uh, departure from the genre but i do have to mention it uh, just because it is uh, a part of me uh rush uh, counterparts i know on uh, the dig me out 80s episode for uh, presto i went in my history with the band um so uh, that that's one that i cannot uh, overlook as well so this is where i'm going to tease that my pick for this year is going to be industrial related ooh uh, Creeping in on uh, Ian Sarazori, I like go, it. Go, go ahead. Oh, uh, you have to. You have to wait till October to find figure out what it is. Oh, okay. But, Ooh. but, it, but I'm going to give the the genre is industrial related. Really? <laughs> uh, okay. Oh. So so as as influential as Liz Fair is, I I can't believe that we've made it this far without me mentioning two records: The Breeders' Last Splash and Belly's Star um spoiler i interviewed kelly deal about three hours ago and um she made mention that this is the 30th anniversary of last splash and perhaps bands like to celebrate 30th anniversaries so i Mm, would probably be looking for some breeders tour dates to celebrate that album coming up this year um you know with with belly having their 30th anniversary as well for star she didn't say this but how awesome would that be to a belly breeders co-headlining tour would be awesome all right, I'm going to talk really fast because I got a whole handful of stuff here. <laughs> Anthrax's Sound of White Noise, uh, John Bush on vocals. Love that record. Listen to that. That's probably my go-to Anthrax record. Um, while, I, while I had basically written off most kind of hair-ish metal, um, Spread Eagle's second album, Open to the Public, is a really great like kind of skid row, uh, kind of street metal, sleaze metal kind of thing. Um, I like this record. I don't know that today I would admit to necessarily loving this band, but 311's first album, Music, came out. Uh, that was, you know, for the time, I remember getting that record, and I had already been introduced to Rage Against the Machine, which was like metal meets rap, and then hearing 311 was sort of like the not metal meets rap kind of thing, um, reggae meets rap or whatever, and I really, I, I love that record a lot. I interviewed him and saw him a bunch of times on the 311, the music tour. Um, other albums, this band that uh, someday I, I'm going to try to get the singer for an interview for Dig Me Out, uh, this band called 700 Miles. Um, just They were from New York, but just kind of like a Midwest uh, Midwest kind of, for, for Jay and Tim, sort of uh, not even greenhornish and fever smile-ish, but sort of just like the Midwest, I don't, I don't know how to describe, but just rock music. Um, I already mentioned For Love Not Least, I still love this record. Uh, the Posies, we talked about them really briefly, but uh, Frosting on the Beater, I listen to that all the time. Um, there's this band called Naked Soul that had one single that got played on Cleveland radio called Helicopter Man. Uh, I think that these guys were in some other bands. I only know, I've, I've, owned, this, I've owned this CD since those days, and I, I think I've only ever listened to Helicopter Man, which used to get played on um, The End in Cleveland. Uh, this album was way too mature for me at the time. And even now I'm probably way too mature for me, but big head Todd and the monsters, um, Mr. Sweetly, uh, when I was 1993, I was 22 years old. Um, that album seemed like a 40 year old should be listening to big head Todd and the monsters, but, uh, I still like to pull that one out even now that I'm beyond 40. And, uh, and here's an album that I did not realize it came out in 93. In fact, when I was going through records today, I had to look at the date cause I'm surprised cause I thought it'd come out later, but, um, 
best kissers in the world. Uh, been there, just a, a kind of a cool pop, power pop ish, maybe a little bit more power rock than power pop, but um, great album. And now I'm out of breath. <laughs> and he had a he had a visual for each one. Yes, I did. I didn't dig out CDs, but uh, to piggyback on Chip, I want some of that is a great song off of that best kisses in the world record. No wait, no. The, sorry, that's my little fun house came out in the same year. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so I'm looking at my list here, and I'm I'm going to omit the breeders because someone mentioned that already. But uh, I have Sugar's EP Beaster, mm. excellent EP. Um, the The with Dusk, excellent mm. kind of almost meditative kind of thing and i'm probably in the minority here but in excess's full moon dirty hearts i thought was a really good record and uh two final ones i have and uh chip may may appreciate this but uh enough's enough's album animals with human intelligence very power pop um excellent so, excellent record i was so listening I, to I, that earlier I love strength. And by the time that album came out, I had, I had already tapped out of enough's enough. So like I, oh. I own the CD that I bought in the last five or 10 years, but I don't, I need to, I need to listen to it. You need to tap um, into it again. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, the, the biggest outlier, um, I loved this record when it came out. I still love it to this day. Uh, Z, which is, uh, Dweezil and Amit Zappa. With yeah dmo might not like it because it's over 70 minutes long oh my gosh <laughs> i own a dweezil zap album so i'll give it a shot um but yeah this this was like the official band project for dweezil and uh, ahmed like as a full member yep. writing and all of that stuff um shampoo horn I still love it to this day um let's see do, do, do. yeah i mentioned everything on my list <laughs> let me uh mm. let me go through some comments from some patreon so some stuff that we missed and didn't get mentioned uh carl mentioned that he was 12 at the time so a lot of his music was via mtv and and radio so he was listening to mariah carey's music box um get a grip by aerosmith that's this year yeah. and um he mentioned PM Dawn's The Bliss album, which is a, is a good album. Yeah. Uh, Willie Dillon said he was born in 92, so he's oh my showing goodness. off. Oh, <laughs> Willie. Willie. So he didn't pick these up when he was, you know, when they were released. But ones that he mentioned are The Grifters, One Sock Missing, the self-titled album by Stanford Prison Experiment, Bark Market's Gimmick, which we have talked about, Diggs Self-Titled, which we have talked about, Headstones, Picture of Health, which we've talked about, Heat Miser's Dead Air, and the self-titled album by Pond. Chip, I'm not going to read your list. <laughs> um, I see Willie Dillon should have been on this episode because mm. he would have provided a very unique perspective. R right. What's it like mm -hmm. for a two-year-old? In, in... <laughs> uh, Mike Bond said Matter Rose, Bring It Down. The Cocteau Twins, 
Four Calendar Cafe, Julian Hatfield, Afton Wings, Belly, The Auteurs, New Wave, Blurs, Modern Life is Rubbish, Suede, Velocity Girls, Copacetic, Smashing Pumpkins, and The Judgment Night Soundtrack, 1993. I mean, I hate what came out of that, Mm. but I mean, you can't fault that soundtrack for starting that. Um, Richard Waterman uh, said, I'm sure you're going to get to certain bands. Uh, He brought up um, Adorable, which we reviewed, Antenna, Cry of Love, Brother, uh, Dandelions, I think I'm going to be sick. The First Day, Sylvian, Sylvian and Fripp, Dio Strange Highways, Donald Fagan's Kamakurian. Um, I re- there was a single for that that I somehow know. Morrow's Girls. Was that what it was? I just remember there was a video on M- on VH1, not MTV. Yes. It was on VH1. Yeah, Tomorrow's Girls. Uh, the God Machine, Scenes from the Second Story, Kingdom Come, Bad Image, Little Angels Jam, Love Battery, Far Gone, Love Jones, Here's to the Losers, Machines of Loving Grace, Concentration, Masters of Reality, Sunrise on the Suffer Bus, Monster Magnet, 25 Tab. Uh, Super, that- Super Judge. Super Judge came out. was the album that came out in 93. Mm-hmm. That, okay. Yeah. Uh, Morphine's Cure for the Pain, Murray Attaway, Enthrall, Mystery Machine, Glazed, Nude Swirl. Um, album title not listed, so I'm going with self-titled. It's a self-titled. One Dove, Morning Dove, White, Seafield, Quiche, or Kiki? I don't know. Straight Jacket Fits, Blow, Tears for Fears, Elemental, UMI, Sound as Ever, and of course, Pull by Winger. Oh, Winger. Oh, Rich Waterman. Uh, He also mentioned the True Romance soundtrack, which is good. Um, And then Kyle Whitner, some of the ones that we haven't talked about, the Flaming Lips, Transmissions from the Satellite Heart. This is kind of like, I guess the album that put them on the map, right? Because of Chinese Jelly. Yep. What a weird time. Well, they had another single off of that. Was it it Turn It On? Yeah, Turn Turn It On. on. Which is like a great straight ahead rock song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, He mentioned 13 Engines, which I'm not familiar with. Uh, Sarah McLaughlin had an album out this year. Great album. Yes, great album. Her best, my opinion. Um, he said there was towards ecstasy. Yeah, fumbling towards ecstasy. Yep. Uh, also mentioned Junk House, The Tea Party, Pure, The Watchmen, I Mother Earth, and Headstones, which we mentioned before. Uh, all the Canadian bands that released albums, and then um, U2's Zuropa, my favorite. For them. Is now you see that's an album that surprisingly holds up. I think that. Yeah. I think a lot of people are genuinely surprised how well I, that holds up. I think compared to what they've done <laughs> since maybe 2002. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it definitely holds up. It, it, it's relative with this one. Uh, I, I mean, it's my favorite, but uh, I mean, it's one that tends to get overlooked a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean, considering Zuropa was kind of a. It started as a new time. It was. It it was kind of tossed off. It was recorded between legs of of the Zoo TV tour, and there's there's a strange immediacy to it that you don't get from most U two records. 
it's it's definitely one that represents its time that was made but uh yeah True. and 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 that and because it was rushed i mean the production could have been a bit better but i mean it it still holds up yeah and, and that but i mean uh, it, for some reason you two you two can work really well when it's not overthought yeah that's what uh that's what um uh shoot it wasn't uh paul ainlaw said uh about them they're great at writing albums they're bad at finishing albums right right so when when they have a deadline when they have a quick deadline they can turn it around pretty well yeah it's just when they're giving when they're given years to finish a record they will take years to finish a record uh all the last albums I wanted to mention a few a few other ones that I I have not heard them talked about. This is the year of Undertow by Tool. Tool. Uh, I had not <laughs> I was not familiar with this band again. Think of all the people tuning into this episode <laughs> expecting us to spend like right in detail uh, conversations about that record. And we're like, oh yeah, by the way, that oh came yeah. Out. Uh, yeah. But I remember the video. Like, it was the video for Sober? And you're Sober. like, yeah. what the. What yep. is going on? Yeah. Was exactly. there like a huge Stone Temple Pilots record this year too? No, that no, was not this year. Okay, Can't Can't in between that years. Ninety-four. Oh, I'll oh, give you some other ones that we haven't talked about. Yeah. Um, the Counting Crows, August and Everything After. I mean, <laughs> right. you've got um, four or three or four big singles. Yep. Um, and then they had a they had a song and a on that uh soundtrack not soundtrack uh what's uh the comp. The, the DGC uh, rarities. That was the oh, same. Yeah. But this is a uh, this was a huge record for that year, and I have revisited it um, because my wife is a big fan of this band. And basically, a, except for Mister Jones, it still I, it still has some pretty solid songwriting. Um, it felt really different than mm-hmm. anything that was happening at the time. Now that didn't hold up, like. I, I think I, I think they declined every album after this, and I think um, this song, this sound, became very like ubiquitous within a year. I remember there being a lot oh, yeah. of optimism from like my brother's friends, like people who were older than me. When they heard that, they're like, "Oh, this is like it, like very much connected with people who were also into like classic rock." And then right. nothing after that. I, I don't. T- I take you're not a fan, Phil. No, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, this was the year that um, I actually kind of discovered Ice Cube uh, because of the song. I think it's really dough. It's either really dough or or Ghetto Bird. There's where it's really he dough. he makes a a reference to the Buffalo Bills, and I was like, oh, oh. now I gotta I gotta learn everything about this guy. He just mentioned the <laughs> Buffalo Bills, although he, it's it's a it's a negative. He says, I won't choke like the Buffalo Bills. Oh. Oh, anyway. You could say that about about the Boston Red Sox. Sure. This is the last time I was interested in Ice Cube because when War and Peace came out like five years later, I was like, nope, not not into this anymore. (laughs) Uh, This is the year of Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz, which I recently revisited. I was like, this isn't bad. This is not bad. It's it's half of a great record. It kind of peters out at the end. Same thing mm. with um, we haven't talked about it, but uh, come on, feel the lemonheads. Mm. 
there's a Same. ton of great stuff loaded up front, but it's a it's a long record. It's there sh- there should not be a 15 song 45 minute or 54 minute long Lemonheads record. Lemonheads should come in at like 37 minutes. Yeah. Well, you say that there's if I'm not mistaken, there's like two hidden tracks. Yep. So that's what pads it out to 54 minutes. Uh, this is the year of Candlebox's debut, which I think if grunge hadn't happened, this record would still happened, except this just would have been like it would have been a end of hard flop. rock. Like it would have been so I mean, I I listen to it now and I'm like, this is not a this doesn't have any real like connection to grunge. Like this is just a hard rock record. Pretty much. But if grunge didn't happen, that record would not have sold in '93. You don't think so? I with the way that I, like hard rock until and- the far behind single because it because by that point by 93 if any hard rock act was to have a hit single it had to be a ballad true uh altered beast matthew sweet which in terms of his albums in the 90s i mean there's there's a lot of really good records in the 90s this is might be my favorite like front to back record um i just love the way it's structured and the fact that he does uh, Ugly Truth Rock twice, but in two different styles, just like a yep. nod back to Neil Young, uh, which we covered on the Son of Altered Beast EP that came out. It has a great song called Super Deformed. Um, Probably his best song, in my opinion. Yes, it's up there. That's been a part of the rock mix recently. I put like a bunch of different songs on, and um, he's a hit. Like Come to California from blue sky on mars and sick of myself he's got those melodies that's what connects with the uh with the 10 year old and then uh not an entire album but regret by new order might be my favorite new order song i don't know if that's blasphemous or not but i just think that that's like a perfect perfect pop song i think it's their last great song myself but yeah yeah, so, and, and, and a discussion can be made about that. Um, yeah. Regret was kind of like a a mid career peak. Mm-hmm. Order. You could say the same thing about Duran Duran. Uh, well, self titled. Right, the, the wedding album. album is this year as well. If yep. you're talking about mid career oh, yeah. peak, that's true. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, but yeah, the fact that Duran Duran came back the way they did kind of surprised people yeah so two other albums came out this year that have had uh long tails one is uh typo negatives bloody kisses mm. Mm. that's one that i still hear a lot of people talk about and this was the year of the cranberries first album yeah. everybody else is doing it so why can't we it's also, also the year of the verbs debut record a storm in heaven oh um, and chip has a has a letters to Cleo. Cherry disc oh. version of aurora gorealis Nice. Which does not, which has the version of here and now that people do not know. Uh, it's a lot more funkier. Ooh, funky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very, it's considerably funkier. Um, <laughs> what percentage that everyone funkier? heard is very, very <laughs> like grunge poppy. But uh, yeah, that particular one and one other track, Rim Shack. The best song on the record are done in a much different style. One album that came out this year that 
it's one of those bands like you look back now and you're like that could have only have happened in the 90s is cracker uh this is the year of low and i also love that this is like one of their better i, I mean I, I don't know if this was a single or not but it seems like people it might have been a single yeah actually it was uh euro trash girl yes is a hidden track on the album yeah and it was like the third single off the album and it's a single yeah uh i just that was a interesting band that uh kind of was not replicated they did not there was no like a bunch of copycat cracker bands no you you would think they were you you would think that given you know the the especially the early to mid 90s that a lot of people did a lot of kind of snarky tunes like cracker did but nobody did well I think we talked about every album that came out in 1993. <laughs> uh, we did. I didn't. Mm. Candlebox come out in '93. We already talked yeah. about that. We talked about I that. Talking I talking just about. talked. Okay. We just had a discussion about. It. Okay. Wait, Jay, Jay, do you know what day it is? No, this has mm. like been two hours, dude. It's been two <laughs> hours. We got. We got to <laughs> wrap your bedtime. It is. Uh, it actually is past his bedtime. Uh, it's past mine as, as well. And uh, isn't it like seven o'clock where you are, Jay? Aren't you like two hours behind the rest no, of us? No, no he's only 10. an hour. It's ten. It's this, this guy's got to get to bed. Mm. He needs to put on his sleep mask and, and turn on his wind machine. The CPAP and, uh, and uh, get the CPAP machine going. And <laughs> so I need to thank our guests who, who joined us this evening. Jeff, Chip, Phil, Eric, Ian. Thank you for spending your Wednesday evening on the Zoom with us and discussing 1993, which really only happened like 10 years ago. In our in our hearts, yeah. that's what matters. Yes. Um, well, Tim and Jay, thank you for doing "Dig Me Out." Yeah, thank yes. you. Seriously, like we are be, between the podcast and the Discord. I never thought I would be able to geek out on this stuff. <laughs> with we are just other as, people, uh, other like-minded people. It's just such a shame that so many of you are so far away. <laughs> we get the we'll eventually we're gonna do the you know the, we'll do a convention of some sort, yeah. maybe maybe a Vegas convention, a nursing home crawl, a nursing cruise. <laughs> Not, <laughs> oh. Dig me out cruise. Derek. Although it would just Dude. be kind of like a pontoon boat. Yeah. Do, do it in <laughs> Buffalo, Tim. Go go back home, and that way those of us in, across the border can make it a bit easier. Okay. <laughs> There we go. Ah, Buffalo's only a six-hour drive from me. There you go. Um, but I, I want to remind people who are listening who, who maybe don't know, but uh, by joining the union via digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com, that's where you go to these roundtables. They happen because of uh, suggestions, not this particular one, but all throughout the year, we do polls. For roundtables, we do polls for albums. We do polls for when albums get selected by our patrons. Uh, they get to vote on where the album better EP or decent single. That all happens at Patreon. It's also where you get access to our Discord, where all the chatter happens. Uh, so much chatter that we're going to be integrating it into our podcast this year when we do reviews. We'll be talking about what's happened at the Discord, what the what the scuttlebutt is around the water cooler, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> and um also at patreon is where you can read the box newsletter which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com 
it is a calendar of new releases for the 80s, 90s, and I guess we're adding the aughts now. More work for me and Jay. Cool. Uh, it has two reviews of uh, new releases, music, TV shows, books, movies, that kind of stuff. And then also at the website is where you go to suggest an album, go to the uh, suggest an album page and you just do that. Lastly, Apple Podcasts, not iTunes, Apple Podcasts and not Apple Music. It's Apple Podcasts, as Jay reminded Bingo. me recently. You got it. That's where you go to leave a review. Five stars, nothing less. If you, if you don't make it five stars, if you make it four, we will find you. We will find you. We'll make you edit that, that post under duress. Mm, we will stare at you. Nothing will stop us from taking down the mighty NPR. Nothing. Their, their reign of terror is over. <laughs> so, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. It's just a dog.